in this new season. We're starting a new sermon series. I invite you to open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11. We'll begin reading um, at verse 27. And, you know, whenever uh, we start a new series, usually there's three to six months in the past, Brittany and I, or perhaps just myself, we prayerfully wonder, what's the next piece of scripture that our community needs to open up together? And this summer, as we were asking that question, discerning that together, we decided we really needed to re-ground ourselves in the stories of God's covenant faithfulness uh, shown to the patriarchs and also to uh, Moses and God's people. So for much of this year, we'll actually be spending uh, time with Abraham, but also then uh, Moses and the Ten Commandments as well in the spring. So that's where we're going. Uh, let's begin reading Genesis 11, verse 27. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and they set out from the Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless, bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards, toward the hills east of Bethel, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, in the book of Genesis, we're introduced to the God who creates and makes ways where there is no way. Out of nothing, God created the heavens and the earth. Out of the dust of the earth, he made human beings. In the image of God, he made them, male and female, he created them. 
And all was very good in God's beautiful beginning. And then something not so good slithered in. The serpent, sin, and suddenly a tear formed in the fabric of creation. And while God is quick to administer justice in the world that he so loves, he is also quick to make a new way forward, to create a new day, to begin again. Think of all the dead ends and new beginnings that have happened in Genesis prior to the call of Abraham. Adam and Eve, they are banished from the garden because of their rebellion. That's a dead end. But then the new beginning. The Lord sews clothing for them, and he promises them that one day a son of Eve will crush the serpent's head. Next step up is uh, Cain and Abel. This too is a dead end. Cain kills his brother in anger, and he is cast off as a result. But into that dead end, God ministers his grace, and he puts a mark upon Cain and protects him so that Cain can live out his days, the new beginning. By the end of the, uh, by the days of Noah, the world is so awash with violence that God is sorry he created it all in the first place. So in judgment, he destroys the world with a flood. Talk about a dead end. But not all is destroyed, for God calls Noah to build an ark and to stuff it full with the things of creation. And after the floodwaters recede, the rainbow appears, and the new day begins. But things are still not right. Like with the other new beginnings, this fresh start soon ferments into a sour mess. It turns out that the sons of Noah are no better than the sons of Adam. They want control. They want to go out on their own and build a name for themselves. And so in their pride, they come together and they build a tower to the sky. God sees what they're doing and he shuts it down. He has no choice but to intervene. And he makes the, uh, he scatters the people and confuses their languages. Another dead end. And what's the Lord to do now? A scattered people living in a broken world was not his creative vision when he laid the foundations of the earth. The goal was communion, fruitfulness, joy, blessing, shalom, not alienation, division, violence, and despair. Well, it's into this hopeless situation that God makes a new way and speaks again. And he calls a humble couple to join him in making a new beginning. At the outset, it seems like these two, Abram and Sarai, are a rather forgettable pair, or at least not that promising in and of themselves. Abram is the eldest son of Terah, a descendant of Noah, and Sarai's lineage is not given. What we know about Terah is that he was likely a pagan. He worshipped uh, probably the moon god that was popular around the Euphrates River at that time. We also know that he had three sons, Abram being the oldest. If Terah had hopes of making a name for himself, his hopes were quickly dashed. Haran, his second son, died in Ur. And Abraham, Abram, his oldest, was unable to have children because Sarai was barren. 
On the surface of things, this does not seem like a very promising new beginning. In fact, in some ways, it seems like the end of the line, literally. In Abraham's day, to be without a son was to be without a future. Barrenness. It's a difficult word to say, an even more difficult word or reality to experience. It's a biological reality, of course, but in the Bible it is also a theological reality, a metaphor for our lives cut off from the source of life. Apart from God, there's no future, no hope. Sin gives birth to sin. The lineage of God's salvation plan is constantly threatened by barrenness. There's the barrenness of Sarah and Rebecca, Rachel and Hannah, Elizabeth, the mother of John. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, does not conceive Jesus in the natural way. He comes from the outside. Only God can create the new day. So from a worldly perspective, Abraham and Sarai, they seem kind of like a bad bet for a new start. But from God's perspective, they're the perfect choice. Here's a couple incapable of making a name for themselves. They are the perfect channel for which God will make a name for himself and reveal his glory. The Lord breaks the barren silence. Leave, he says to Abram. Leave. Leave your country. Leave your people. Leave your father's household. And go to the land that I will show you. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to hear and see what Abram heard and saw. Did, did God's voice come to come to him in an audible way? Or was this simply a word planted deep within his heart? And what kind of reaction did Abraham have to this call? I know life wasn't easy for him and Sarai, but at least they had relatives and a meaningful, if at times monotonous, day-to-day existence in their father's tents, tending their father's animals. Leave all of this, says the Lord. Leave the gods of your father. Leave the comforts of home. Leave your neighbors. Leave people who speak the same language. Leave. It's time to go. Most of us are willing to make a major life change if we know the destination is preferable to the present. But Abraham, Abram, isn't given the details. No itinerary. No direction. No return ticket. But while Abraham and Sarai get few details, what they do get is something extraordinary, a promise. And what an expansive promise it is. Here it is. I will make you into a great nation, says the Lord, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So this is an expansive promise, one of blessing and fruitfulness and also usefulness. Children, a great nation, protection, a name that people will speak of with respect and reverence, 
a lineage that God will use to bless the entire world. This promise really is almost, well, too good to be true, and it's really the dream of every ambitious young couple. We want to know that our lives will have impact. We want to know that our legacy will be some sort of force for good in the world. The trouble is that Abram and Sarai are, well, they're no longer young, and they're barren. How could they possibly believe that a promise like this was for them. It's a lot to take in if you're Abram, pondering the call of God. And of course, promises are not nothing. Many adventures and missions are launched on the basis of promise alone. But we all know from painful experience that promises aren't always kept. And promises tend to rely heavily on the one who makes the promise. And what do Abram and Sarai know about this strange voice who demands extreme sacrifice and makes extravagant promises? They really know nothing about God. And yet, and this is very radical if you think about it, and yet in radical faith and obedience, they go and do as God called. They step out, they leave, they turn, they go. And the rest, as they say, is history. Heading south with nephew Lot, Abraham weaves his way down into Canaan. He makes stops at Shechem and Bethel and Ai, holy sites. But instead of paying homage to the local deities or to his father's God, Abram pays homage to the invisible God who calls, the one who called him to pilgrimage. And there the Lord gives Abram another sign and another promise. The Lord says to him in Shechem, uh, To your offspring I will give this land. So Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to them. It is not an overstatement to say that this call and this significant step of faith, that it is perhaps the most significant moment in the entire Old Testament. And it is certainly a definitive text for understanding the drama of the Bible as a whole. Here in this call to this barren couple, we have the birth of a new beginning. One that will have staying power, even as it endures bumps along the road. The tension at the heart of the Abraham story, the Genesis story, the biblical story is this. Will the God who initiates follow through on his promises? Will he give Abram and Sarai a firstborn son? Will he make a great nation out of Abraham's descendants? Will he give them land? Will he bless them? Will he cause them to be a blessing? There are obstacles and trials at each step along the way, as we will see as we read this story. For years, the promise, it seems, hangs by a thread. But then the baby is born, and then the Red Sea is parted, and then the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. None of these victories are won solely through the power of Abram or his children. 
On their own, they are lost and without hope. They cannot build a name for themselves. But through God who makes promises, always follows through, and he will make a name for them. In the end, the whole world, if you think about it, is blessed by the new beginning that God started with Abraham and Sarai. Just think of all the blessings, and the blessings have not stopped flowing. Here's here's one. Here's one blessing. When famine struck the Middle East a long, long time ago, people from all over the world went to Egypt because they heard that there was food there. And there was food in Egypt because a descendant of Abraham was sent there and he spent time in prison and he was taken out of prison and he had dreams and he saw what was coming and Pharaoh gave him a position of power and he was able to store up food for years and years and years. And that enabled so many people to survive and not starve to death. The descendant was named Joseph. And there are more blessings. Throughout the years, after the Exodus, the Lord gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. And if you think about it, no words have had a greater and more positive impact on the world than these Ten Commands. And furthermore, through Abraham's descendants, the world has received a copy of the Old Testament, this book that we still read and go to for faith and life. In this book, we hear the astounding news that human beings, both male and female, have been made in the image of God and that therefore each and every one of us have been endowed with dignity, worthy of respect. We take these blessings for granted. They seem self-evident to us, but these blessings have a history that go back to Abram and his descendants. And of course, no gift, no gift, no blessing is as great as the descendant of Abraham, born in Bethlehem a long time ago. Surrounded by the dead ends of Israel's faithfulness, God broke the silence once again and spoke to a daughter of Abraham. Greetings, you who are highly favored, the angel said to Mary. You will be overshadowed by the Most High, and the one you are to bear will be called the Son of God. Jesus was born to bring blessing to the world. This descendant of Abraham was sent to put an end to our dead ends and to open up for us lasting, a lasting future, not characterized by barrenness, decay, or death. This Jesus accomplished by making the ultimate sacrifice, by facing uh, the ultimate dead end, death itself. Jesus faced the cross, trusting the promise that God will not abandon one of his beloved one, beloved to the grave. All the nations of the world will be blessed through you, God promised Abram. And here we are today, a long way from Canaan, alive in Christ, filled with the Spirit. The promised blessings have indeed gone forth to the ends of the earth. And now the call comes to us too. And the promises apply to us too. Like God called Abram, so Jesus called disciples. Started again. Continued this 
new beginning. He told them, leave. It's time to go. It's time to turn away from the familiar and to come and follow me. The call comes to all of us. The call comes to the alcoholic, the workaholic, the deadbeat dad, to tax collectors and fishermen, to all those without hope. It's time to start again. It's time to begin anew. Leave. Leave the familiar. Take this step of faith. Journey with me into this unknown place that I will show you. The call of God is always a little bit scary and definitely disruptive. Noah was called to build an ark. Imagine getting that call. Moses was called to confront Pharaoh. He didn't like that either. Jonah was summoned to go to Nineveh, which was very much against his will. And Paul, of course, was called to take the good news of resurrection to the ends of the earth. And that call totally overturned his life. Leave, says Jesus. Come and follow me. And there's a promise with this too, of course. Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. That's the leave. That's the turning. It's time to start again. It's time to put to death the old life. But then the promise, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Abram lost a lot when he left home, but think how much was gained. The Apostle Paul lost a lot when Jesus called him for, to forsake the status quo, uh, or to forsake the status he had built up in the Jewish community. But think how much was gained. Heeding Jesus' call, the call of God, it feels like death in the moment. But as you step out, take the risk of pilgrimage, trusting the promise, you'll find that God is faithful and will give more than you could ever ask or imagine. It really comes down to trust, I think. Do we trust the one who calls? On the one hand, our call to discipleship is similar to Abram and Sarai's call. Both require this step out into the unknown. The difference is that we know more about God now than they ever did. We know that his promises are not empty or simply the wishing, wish, wishful thoughts of a longing heart. And the Bible is really a record of all the promises that God has made and the promises that he has kept. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead confirms that God's new day has dawned and that no further dead end will ever stand in the way. The foundations of the new city have been laid and its completion is assured. Now think with me of all the promises that Jesus gave to his disciples during his life. In a way, th these are our food. This is what sustains us as we go upon this journey. Jesus promised, in this world you have, will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Jesus promised, I am going to prepare a place for you, and when I return, I will take you uh, so that you may also be where I am. 
Jesus called, go and make disciples of all nations, and then followed that up with the promise, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus promised, Behold, I am making all things new. Write these words down, for they are trustworthy and true. Sometimes it feels like the promise is only holding by a thread. Like with Abraham and Sarai, these long years of waiting and wondering. And yet the God who promises will one day come through. The disruptive call of God and the expansive promises are now part of this new covenant, part of the church. Jesus comes to us and he invites us to join him on pilgrimage. Leave, he says. And I find it so tempting to make peace with the status quo. I don't know about you. There are many siren songs and shiny things uh, to take our mind off of the barrenness of life. But is that what we really want, to settle down, to make peace with things? Ah, oh, this, is, this is as good as it gets. I'll just make the best I can of this not-so-good situation. Many people choose to live out their days simply making do. But I find there's something attractive here about this call. Like, no, no, no. Don't settle down in things as they are. There's a new city. There's a new day. There's a mission. There's a call. You are so much more than just a bump on a log, a couch potato, sitting at home trying to keep reality at bay. You are called into my mission of making all things new. You are set apart to be a blessing, set apart for a purpose. It's time to move, to leave, to go, to embrace the life of pilgrimage. When we hold on to our lives, life slips between our fingers, but as we lose our life for the sake of Christ and his kingdom, we'll find that we're filled with richness and adventure. There's something better, a promised land, a city whose foundations, with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Let's go together. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, you speak. You invite us uh, to leave, to go, to change, to follow you. And Lord, that is hard. We pray your voice would be strong and that with it would come power and excitement, your spirit. Lord, you've made us a part of this family of blessing. We too are adopted into the family of Abraham. We too have this promise, Lord, that you have set us apart. 
to be a blessing in the world, to be a part of your new beginning. We pray for courage and strength. And if anyone here, Lord, is feeling stuck, wondering what's next, I pray that you'd speak to them today, that you'd issue your call to them and give them the power to follow after Christ your Son. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.